Hello, welcome to the Real Point Exchange. This is Adam, and today I have, I have a very special guest, an alumni, one of our, I can't remember if it was the first episode or the second episode, but one of the first episodes we recorded for the Real Point Exchange. This man was here helping me out, and without further ado, hey Jason, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Jason Hart, uh, I'm an attorney, I own Apollo Law, and I'm a really big nerd. You're a nerd, and I probably said this back in the day on that first episode but you know for years of course you were two years younger than me in school and we're in my wife's grade and all that like i always heard about you playing dnd and i always wanted to, to make it over and join you guys for that game but it just it never worked out and you know it's something i regretted not doing for a long time but this past fall so that was second edition and maybe third edition uh back in the day and the rules are a lot different now, but uh, it was really fun. I've loved the game, you know, since since I was a teenager, probably in middle school too. And uh, it's just kind of one of those things that stuck with me. And it's a, it's just like an excuse to hang out with your favorite people and do really fun stuff. I hated the fact that we never got to play together. And then the, this past fall, what happens? What did you decide to run, Jason? I decided to run Curse of Strahd, uh, fifth edition. And I put together a group of people uh, at my law office to run it. We were playing in the conference room prior to COVID-19. And we got about, I want to say, six episodes in, Curse of Strahd. And we've shuffled through some members. We've had some people die. I think we've got two of the original uh, members are still still going, and you're one of them. Yeah. And uh, you're uh, Dro um, Rogue, I believe. Yeah. Seardath uh, and uh, Merrick, which is my uh, twin brother's character, have made it all the way up to this point, which is pretty impressive given that Curse of Strahd is a bit of a meat uh, meat grinder. I've always heard of Curse of Strahd. I've seen other podcasts putting actual plays out about it. So, you know, when you offered me an opportunity to jump into that game, I was more than happy. And, you know, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you uh, when we started this, but that was the first D&D game I played in person since 1999. Wow. So yeah, it had been quite a, quite a bit of time and yeah, definitely the rules have all changed. I'm still, you know, I find myself learning more and more about the, you know, D and D fifth ed all, you know, all the time. But so you, you kind of mentioned this a moment ago, but yeah, COVID-19 just threw a wrench into our, was meet at the law office and sit down, pick up some snacks and game together things. So yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, so it started out, we were going to do like a keep a casual once a month kind of a game. And uh, at the law office, you know, I can keep all the dice and all the minis and all the dry erase boards and all the maps. And we were building, um, you know, really good terrain. I had a, uh, a windmill to represent the bone grinder that uh, you guys encountered and uh, various other things. I I'd built um, St. Andrew's Church in uh, Valaki for you. And I had all this stuff uh, raring to go. Unfortunately, we couldn't use the church because COVID-19 hit and we had to move to uh, kind of online media. So we had to do some research and look into that. And we ended up going with Roll20 and just getting a subscription there and buying uh, the kit for that. So Roll20 had a Curse of Strahd kit prepared for it that you can buy and get all the maps and all the material and all the monster stats and stuff, uh, which has been pretty useful so far. And that's kind of leading into the main topic of this episode. We're going to go back and talk a little bit about Curse of Strahd here on the tail end. But first off, you know, with everything that's going on and a lot of online group, I mean, in-person groups having to try different means, thought we would do an episode just on some online resources one can use. Now, I'm really famous about putting the cart before the horse. So one of the things that I was really impressed with is even though we were playing this game in the physical space, you started out with using D&D Beyond. And this was my first uh, experience with it. And all right, y'all don't tell my bosses, by the way, but I'm sitting through PDs at school. You know, they're going over stuff, but I've got my Microsoft Surface there and I'm going through D&D Beyond and I'm statting out a character and it was the most easy thing I've ever done in my life. It's really great, yeah. So what, uh, when did you hear about D&D Beyond, and what led you to decide to use it? Well, I, I've been following uh, Critical Role, and they advertise D&D Beyond all the time because they're a big sponsor. So I started looking at that when I uh, started hosting, co-hosting 
the uh, D&D club at uh, Western Hills High School here in Frankfurt, and we had about 99 kids sign up for it. And about half of those show up. So we have about seven or eight active groups at one time of about six people. So we needed something to help them create characters in a manageable and efficient way. And I thought D&D Beyond would be perfect for it. So we had to get you know, exceptions into the school servers and get it all going so they could log in and make their characters. And we, we watched some videos on how to make characters. And I think Starterbox, actually, one of the guys is from Frankfurt, in, in that talking about D&D character creation for uh, the minds of Fandelver. Fan yeah. So um, I showed them that, and then we, we jumped into D&D Beyond. Uh, for the office is when I subscribed to it so I could share the material with um, all the people creating, you know, characters in our group. And um, that, that went uh, really, really well. And I, I just think it streamlines everything. It's really nice when you're running a game, too, to be able to look over and say, um, okay, you know, I need to pull up this character. And you just highlight it and all the stats pull up and you click on it. And it's all kind of right there at your fingertips. I will say the learning curve for D&D Beyond is pretty low. It's pretty intuitive. You can just make characters and level them and you know, do your short and long rests. It's pretty great. In fact, I, I wish uh, we were able to just directly connect that to some more of our gaming online. And we're kind of working on that right now, but that's um, it's been a great tool. And quite frankly, it's harder for me to just roll up a, a pen and paper kind of character now without using D&D Beyond. It's that good. I'm wanting to use Patreon funds to sign up for a uh, one of the main subscriptions for D&D Beyond because I, it, you're, you're correct. It, it just streamlines everything so great. So for those of you not experienced with it, and I will give my perspective as somebody who's Use the resources that are shared to me that we were, that were purchased on Jason's account versus my own stuff. Basically, when you're going through the character character creation on D and D Beyond, if uh, say that your game master or the group you're in had purchased or you own it yourself, the digital content for uh, what's that? Author, the guide to everything. What's that called again? Oh, you know, Xanthars. You Xanthars everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, say for example, you wanted to make a swashbuckler, because I recently found myself wanting to do this for some stuff we're wanting to do on Real Point Exchange. If you own that book, then all the new supplements that come out with that book are available to you in creation. So, you wanted to create, much like I did a moment, a few months ago, a swashbuckler. All you have to do is, you know, have that content linked to your account, and as you're picking out your Sub your main class of rogue or would that be subclass? Yeah, I think so. Okay, all that stuff's available to you. It, it, it's really great for character creation. Not just that; it's great for world building. So every time you make a campaign, you can create a world and have all the content shared in one space and have all the characters in one space. And it's kind of it's just, it's just really great. And if you want to add on to a character and you want to have something you don't have, you can line item buy like the swashbuckler or something like that. You know, you, you can actually buy individual stats, too. Like, I didn't have it in me. I own the physical book of Xanthar, and I was like, ah, of course, I'm going to turn around and do it eventually. But I was like, I do not want to buy that. But I went out and paid two bucks for simplicity's sake, which, you know, given if I'd bought a bunch of stuff from the Xanthar book, it would cost me more than the $30 it's selling for. But if you just want one thing, you can just pay like a dollar or two and just buy that one thing. And you will have access to that content without having having to actually spend the thirty dollars for the book, which I found really cool. The character art's really good there too. Some people in our game have used uh, like customized character art, but I mean it's it's really really good and nice to have like a, a visual of your character that's done really well. Um, you know, to use oh, with yeah, the game. tons of assets. You know, you know the thing that I really also like about that since we're gonna focus a little bit on D&D Beyond is the interface that it has with cell phones. Even when we were meeting in the personal space, I either had my tablet up and I could easily go through the player's guide that you had purchased and had available to the group and I could look up what my rogue can do or anything else that you purchase. It's easy accessible. If you wanted to and you didn't have a, tab a big tablet there, you can sit there with your cell phone, go to the site, and if you're wanting to look up stats on 
you know, a spell or an item or something like that that you have access to from, you know, what you purchase or have not purchased. It's just a few clicks and it's just so streamlined and beats the hell out of flipping pages in a book. Yeah, and, and it's got a it's got something where the DM can add items to character sheets and create custom items. I like that. I don't use it enough, but it's great. Uh, normally, I just tell you guys what you have and I give you like a printed off sheet with the stats or I share it uh, in Roll20 now, but... Um, had we still been going in person, I was preparing. I had cards for like, you know, healing potions and stuff like that ready, and and all that ready to go, so it doesn't slow the game down. You have all the stuff right there on your, you know, right in front of you. And with D and D Beyond, I could just you know pull it up, print it, take it off the printer, hand it to you. It's it's really great. Oh yeah, totally simple. Keeps up with everything. And I think we haven't used it, but I believe that if you have a subscription, you also have access to something that will help you uh, create a uh, keep track of initiative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you something I found out. It was really fun with that too. If you have a subscription, you have access to homebrew content. Now, I mean, of course I've seen tons of memes and stuff like that on D and D groups on Facebook and whatnot that make fun of like homebrew content. But, See, so if you're a game master, be aware of that. But if you are paying for a subscription, you can go through and, like, say, pick a different background. So when I was creating a thief for a game that we're hopefully going to start running on RPX pretty soon, I went ahead and went through that homebrew stuff. And I found out I found a background that was the brother of the chosen one. Oh, nice. And then it was totally statted out with, you know, not only like things you get and stuff that, you know, the first, not forsaken, what? I'm trying to think of the the background I'm playing in Curse of Strahd. The Cursed or the shit. Um, oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I put you on the spot. Yeah, you put me on the spot. Um, I, I, you're, you've, you, you've got a, a, a being that's got claim on your soul if you die, basically. Yeah. Um, that's, that's with you. And you're, you're, I'm trying to develop it more in your backstory. Your character is very interesting because you see, you see ghosts, too. And uh, no, no one else in the group can just see these, and you're not sure if they exist or if they're just in your head. Yeah. Um, so that's 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 kind of fun about your character you've created. I really enjoy that you took the time to put together a detailed backstory because we've got a few characters in our campaign right now who did like a couple paragraphs, but it's not a whole lot of uh, meat to it. So I'm having to develop that as the game goes. But with yours, I could just weave it in, weave it out, and it's really nice. <laughs> I think I wrote like 750 to a thousand words on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting in bed with my tablet typing away. My wife, what are you doing? Go to bed. I'm like, writing my background. God. So to get back on track, apologize for side sidetrack there. The D and D beyond was a great tool. Now kind of going with the progression of how our game has went in COVID-19 hit. We went digital. Now, you went. You mentioned beforehand that you went to row twenty, and uh, per, we purchased the assets, and you've been working on it. But before we get into what you've learned and the features that you've seen in row row twenty for Dungeons and Dragons, you were able to, to a degree, import the characters over from D and D Beyond. Correct. Correct. I, I had I did it manually for the most part. It wasn't like a direct import, but if you know the stats and stuff, you can program it into row twenty. And just click on it. You want to do an attack? Your sword's right there on your character sheet. Click on it, and it rolls it out for the game, which is really nice. You've got a spell that does damage. Click on it. It'll it'll say the damage. It's You've got initiative. It'll count in your initiative. Now, I will say Roll20 has got a few bugs that we had to work out. It also has a learning curve. Roll20 is not something you can just jump on and expect to know everything and know how to run an encounter yeah. on. Um, so it, it takes prep. Uh, oftentimes... I um I go through and I prep like you know the next map the next map after that and I go through all the characters on it and try to get it working well. Some folks have played on Roll Twenty in our group more than I have, so that's really helpful. But I'm I'm learning it more and more, and I think our games are going smoother and smoother. Yeah, and it's great with D and D too. When you're in the theater of the mind, for the most part, unless you're in active initiative, I mean, you're just talking about things and showing maps and showing you know, pictures of people and that sort of thing. And it's great because all of the pictures of the characters are already in the game. All the, you know, if I want to share something with you guys, it's already on there. And there's typically a player handout for it that I can just click share and it goes to everyone playing, which is amazing. Yeah. 
you know, this is, you were speaking of the theater of the mind as opposed to like the majority of things that I've played in my life, definitely, you know, since 1999 up till current date, it's all been strictly said in the theater of the mind. Like I've never had to actually worry about phys- the physical space and blocks and movement and stuff like that. Of course, I haven't really been playing Dungeons and Dragons. I've been on other types of games and all that, but it, that's, it is enough getting this particular aspect of it. Of, D- of Dungeons and Dragons, I feel like I'm getting the full experience, and I'm enjoying it. And what we tried to do with the Apollo All Presents version that we've been sharing on YouTube and Facebook on the Office account is I, I pre-program it to have all the characters I thought you might run into, all the maps, you know, all the all the cool uh, little visual effects to it to keep keep the game kind of going and to give you guys, you know, just just to make it seem more um, engaging. And I think we still have that with the old. 20, although the in-person aspect is certainly uh, lost to a certain degree. But, you know, during COVID-19, we can't we can't game in the same room. We can't be within six feet or even do any kind of gathering right now um, in Kentucky. So um, this is the way we've got to do it. And you know what? It's been pretty great. It's been pretty, pretty fun. And I can still bring in like NPC players and guest players and 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 have it go in kind of a seamless way uh, to where the story is not being really uh, broken. And uh, to prepare for this, I've been watching other streams, and there are other streams that have used Roll20 as well. You know, as far as guidance, uh, I've watched Into the Mist. I've watched uh, Guild Gates and Goblins. Um, I've watched all these other streams and, of course, Critical Role to get inspiration for how to do this right. And uh, as a GM, you know, it takes a lot of prep, and I I like to see what people liked about it and what they didn't like about the book. Because it's, uh, they suggest modifying certain chapters and uh, adding things and taking things away, and I've done some of that. We've played pretty close to the book, and uh, I'm trying to keep to certainly the spirit of the book. Um, but it's been really fun, and it's been interesting seeing what you guys have done in your particular group. I know that there's free accounts for Row Twenty, but there's also a subscription level. So for what we're doing and having the uh, assets provided for us or certain features, you did have to actually sign up for one of the more premium accounts. Is that correct? Yeah, I signed up for the premium account. I paid for it for a year. And then I um, I think I paid uh, a nominal fee, like 24, 25 bucks for the map package and the, and the book. And it, it's got all the chapters of the book, all the pictures. Um, if I want to make a token, you know, it's got the token for Strahd. It's got the token for, you know, zombies and, and bats and all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's really great. It's it's drag and drop. Now there are a few bugs we're working out, but for the most part, it's uh, once you get the hang of it, it works really really well. And the maps come preloaded with the monsters, oftentimes anyways. So they're kind of already there, good to go, and you just need to roll, add the characters and roll initiative. Yeah, I like the. I, well, I have a, like a love hate relationship with this one, Jason. So when we first started playing, and by the way, for those of you who's kind of familiar with the Curse of Strahd campaign. We went digital about the time of what was that town we were in? Where Dalaki, yeah, Dalaki. So we were getting ready to do a, like a siege. Essentially, was going to be held on us there. So Jason mentioned that he created a beautiful church that you know we were really looking forward to, probably literally setting on fire. But because <laughs> we have a player who is a, a wizard, a war, is he a wizard or a warlock? He's a wizard and he's a pyromaniac. Yeah. <laughs> Good old John. Now, uh, we used the dynamic lighting within the in the beginning. And for those of you that are unaware, dyna- dynamic lighting is a feature that's built into it that's premium. That allows you only see parts of the map that are within your character's field of vision, which was pretty cool. But at the same time, when I'm trying to follow the game, and I'm, there may be an option to fix this and stuff, but... There is. We figured it out. Everybody was fighting outside in the beginning of Curse, uh, that siege in Valky, and I'm in another room, and you're talking about stuff that's happening to and fro. And I just, at one point, I don't know if you noticed me doing it, but I just grabbed my character and moved him into that room just so I could see what the hell you're talking about and then move him back out. But that's more of a user thing than anything else, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's and and that was kind of getting used to the dynamic lighting and all the different overlays for the maps. Uh, took some time, and it was a learning curve for me. I think our, um, you know, we've had some pretty big encounters on uh, D twenty, and it it just takes 
it takes time to get used to it and to learn it. They do have an intro video, which I watched, um, and I, I studied up on it, and I Googled a bunch of uh, issues and concerns I had with it and try to work them all out. And for the most part, you know, it works seamlessly. If you can get all of the uh, video and audio to work on it, it's great. If the audio has a problem, you can bring in Discord or something like that to keep the audio going and uh, keep doing your online game. So it, it's been working out great, and I'm, I'm happy we have it uh, during COVID-19 because I will say our gameplay has stepped up. We went from a once-a-month game to maybe a two- or three-time-a-month game, which is really, really fun. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'll tell you a little secret. I didn't tell you this last Saturday when uh, Elizabeth hopped on the Facebook group. I'm like, I'm going to be 30 minutes late. I'm like, oh, shit, we're playing today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've been using a Facebook group to kind of keep all that straight. And we'll suggest dates and people say, I can do it. I can't. And uh, it's also good grounds for me to like remind people uh, about things in the game and to share like the Taroka deck reading that Madame Eva gave them that uh, kind of uh, foreshadows the game and tells them, you know, where important objects and items and people are. So, um, and, and the great thing about Curse of Strata is with the Taroka deck, it's a different game every time you play it. So one game you could have a particular ally and the next game you have someone else. And, you know, it, it's really nice that it's got that kind of replayability to it. Yeah. I feel like I am amiss where I forgot to mention something a moment ago that you kind of touched on. And then we'll probably move past row 20. The thing that I really like about row 20, and I've looked at it and I've looked into it about running other games. There are a ton of, uh, well, not a ton, but there's more and more stuff all the time. You have Dungeons and Dragons in there. There's Pathfinder. There's Starfinder, which I'm intrigued on Starfinder. Then Chaosium just recently released uh, Call of Cthulhu 7th Ed, and they actually have a, a free scenario on there. And there's kids on bikes, and they got, I think they got the fake core stuff on there. I mean, there's quite a bit of stuff there. The thing that I like the most, and you have been utilizing this in our game, is from the GM's perspective, you can share the re- certain resources for players to look at. So, for example, there was that druid character oh, yeah. that Mike was was our guest star playing in the past episode, and you know, you can pretty much just show us that entire section about him. Yeah, yeah he, he was playing uh, Davian Markov, uh, the, the were-raven, you guys find out, and uh, you were doing the uh, Wizards of Wines encounter, and that was, that was really interesting. So yeah, I just, and it was easy for me to bring in an NPC because I just shared him the backstory on the character, and the stats were already there, so I just shared that with him, and he was good to go. Um, it worked out really, really well. The other thing about Roll20 that's really, really great is that, you know, the, um, you know, the, the different, the different layers of it, like I can, I can use the, um, I, I can darken things so you can't see them. So like when Merrick, uh, the wizard player played by my twin brother, John, uh, went out and was going to, for some reason, set a, uh, uh, an outhouse on fire to kind of get their attention uh, he went out to the side of the woods where all the monsters were gathered and ready to go. So he started noticing them popping up. So all I had to do was reveal them, and they all started pop up around him, which made for a really good dramatic moment for his character. <laughs> I love that. He just was so fucked. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. We could cuss on here. I, it took me a week to get Apple to accept me, but I had to. I I, I marked it as adults uh, as adult content, but when I clicked, no, wait, that's, I'm, I'm getting my storage. It took a while to get this set as like an e, like an adult rating or, or you know mature content rating. But when I was side note, when I was setting up my Patreon, I went ahead and was using that same logic in my head, and I said, "Oh, well, we're using big dirty words, so we're adults only." And it had me flagged as something you couldn't look up unless you had the link because it was like I was providing some sort of adult entertainment, if you know what I mean. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took me sending them a letter Patreon. So yeah, uh, get back on task again. I'm sorry. Is there anything else that you would like to add about D and D Beyond and Rogue Twenty before I kind of start talking about Discord here in a moment? They're, they're both really, really great. I, I wish I wish there was more interconnectivity between the two. That's the only thing. I wish I could just import a D and D Beyond character 
directly to Roll20 and would work. Uh, Roll20 is made for uh, Curse of Strahd, which is really awesome. So there is that interplay where the material is all in there. I just wish the character could be imported directly and it would function, you know, from D&D Beyond right on it. But beyond that, uh, they're both really, really great. The other alternative to Row 20, and this is more of a software thing that I haven't, I didn't even put in our show notes today, but there's also a program called Fantasy Grounds, and I have played with Fantasy Grounds. It's a, you can buy it on Steam, you can buy it, you can acquire it through fantasygrounds.com, and it's really cool software. My biggest complaint is, and they also had, by the way, they also had the modules, like you could buy Curse of Strides, you could buy your D&D, whatever books, like the Game Masters, uh, Dungeon Master, excuse me, Player's Guide and all that, you can do the same kind of stuff, but it's in a program as opposed to this web interface, but there is a really steep learning curve. It's cool, and it's beautiful, and they even have subscription plans for Fantasy Grounds, which one of my goals for the next year or so would be to actually pay for one of those subscriptions and then run a game or two in Fantasy Grounds and then you know turn around to the podcast and do a review on it, but it's just such a learning curve on not only just getting the software on it, but learning how to use the software that at least for me and for us, I'm glad that we're using row 20 because I I feel like actually having to learn a piece of software is kind of a huge buy-in for some players. It may be a factor in them playing or not playing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I heard of roll 20 and that's kind of why I went with it. Fantasy grounds. I'd heard a little bit about, but I hadn't, I think I've, I've played Roll20 before, um, either in a Call of Cthulhu game or a D&D game, um, and I knew a little bit about it. Um, it's it's changed some since I initially used it, but um, that's kind of why we went that route. And it's a good, like, you just pay for it once and everybody can join. Um, I think with Fantasy Realms, you, each individual, for the most part, has to buy into it, and then you guys can all play together. Um, so there's that difference. They have switched that model around a little bit. You can get one, basically you can either buy or pay a monthly subscription on like a master account. Mm-hmm. And if if you're paying that, then if you downloaded the demo version of Fantasy Grounds, you could play connected to my game. So they kind of worked around it a little bit and that's cool and all, but you know, again, I, I think Row 20, it's least for us at this exact moment in time, is great and you know there is you can kind of look under the hood of row 20 character sheets and program macros and stuff like that if you want to or you can kind of just leave stuff as is which a lot of us have been doing and you know there is a slight learning curve but once you get used to and they're kind of fairly limited the options you have once you get used to it it, it's easy and i honestly think the, the interface is intuitive as well and once I learned how to add characters to the, um, you know, to their picture that I put on the map, uh, everything else seemed pretty, pretty gravy. Because then it's just about, you know, making sure folks can see what I want them to see. And, uh, you know, everybody's able to interact with the map and, and do the initiative order correctly. And the initiative tracker is really great on there. Uh, I think I was better at it initially and then got worse at it as I as a few weeks <laughs> went by. But it's, uh, you know, it's great. I think in the office, we always did. Like, you know, we either had cards with numbers on them, say you're number one, you're number two, or we just did straight initiative and I wrote it down on a piece of paper and I kept track of it that way, um, which is really, really great. Um, but uh, I, I just I just love that it's automated a bit. It makes the game go a little bit faster with, with encounters and it leaves more time for the role-playing meat of it that we really like. And then you could actually add it. You played with this quite a bit in the beginning of doing our online sessions, but there's also a jukebox in there. That, so it, I think, didn't you get actually, when you purchased the assets for Strahd, didn't you get a couple of the audio tracks as well? Yeah, yeah, I get all the auto, audio tracks they have. So they've got, uh, you know, it, it specifically says like Curse of Strahd, Village Background, or, you know, Castle Noise, or whatever. And that's all in there. And I need to do more. I need to pull it up and prep for it more. Um, I, I got uh, a little distracted in the prep for this one, bringing in uh, uh, our NPC player and getting him all the backstory so he would know what he was talking about when he got on. I probably would have added a little more music, but it, it's fine. I think it goes good. Um, the trick with the music is it always adds something to it, especially when you're recording a game. 
but I think you have to get the volume right and make sure you're not drowning out players whose uh, mics might be a little lower than others. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really great. Now, this is a nice segue into our final topic of online discussion here. This is something that I've used quite a bit over the past two years, but on top of us using Row20, we also experienced some technical difficulties one day, and I suggested that we set up a server for Discord. So I'm going to take a few moments here to go over some tools uh, that I like to use in Discord, and some of which will actually kind of pan over to what we were talking about earlier. So first and foremost, you probably heard me, if you listen to quite a few of these episodes or the Patreon stuff we do, or even actual plays, we usually curse about Craig. Craig is not a human being. Craig is a bot that I'm actually using at this exact moment. So if you are interested in recording your sessions, whether it is for distribution as a podcast, or honestly, it's really handy to be able to listen to what happened in the last session to plan in the future. Craig is a bot that you can invite into your Discord server. And you invite him in, and he will record. And there's different packages that you, if you pay for, uh, join the Craig Patreon, you can get a couple extra channels. But it will record an individual audio track for each character. And then after you're done playing, you can download that character. I mean that zip file. And a well, excuse me, you can download the file as a, like an Audacity project, or you can download it as individual WAV files and so forth and so on. So if you have any experience with using any audio editing software, you could actually just go ahead and mix the tracks together in the game, which again is what I do with pretty much everything that we put on RPX. Here's one that I wish I could tell you that we've used quite a bit more on, on RPX, but we suck at scheduling in general. But the, one of the really nice bots that I found a use for and then immediately stopped using, unfortunately, was there's a bot I downloaded called uh, RPG Schedule, which we might want to actually think about at some point in time for our Curse of Strahd game. But you can go into this bot and program out a calendar, pretty much. And then when you hop into the Discord channel, you can view the or toggle the bot and it'll tell you any game scheduled. Then again, if you use Google Calendar or something like that, it would probably omit or not omit, but it would do away with the need of that. But it's something I played with before and I thought really it was really handy. It's really awesome. Yeah. There here's something I found this past week that I thought I would share real quick. And I'm including links to all these tools in the show notes. There is a tool that my friend Jeff imported in that we're using to play our Pulp Cthulhu game uh, campaign, uh, The Serpent with Two Heads. And it's called Rhythm, R-Y-T-H-M. And this is kind of tying in with the music thing that you discussed a moment ago, Jason. But Rhythm is a bot that will just start playing music from YouTube. So if you had, uh, you found an audio track you wanted to use for a game on YouTube and you're running this game in Discord, all you have to do is enter a few commands and it will automatically start playing the music in the channel and all the players will hear it. And you also had the nice advantage of being able to stop it by clicking a button and so forth and so on. So it's not like you're going to get an audio track started and then you have to wait till it continues. That was a really neat tool. That's awesome, yeah. So I'm learning more about Discord, mostly through you. I've used it in the past just for like chatting and, and stuff like that and getting around audio issues for even like playing video games. Right? You get a Discord channel and you're... You hook it up to your, you know, headset, and you just play some online game, and you can talk to all your friends. Um, it's it's really nice to have stuff like this. I think, especially during COVID nineteen, where some people are, you know, by themselves, and you're not getting that social interaction you used to. So, you getting it in some healthy way online through, you know, playing an RPG, whether it be Pathfinder or, you know, D and D or um, Call of Cthulhu, what have you. Um, or the Strange Eons, which is a Pathfinder Call of Cthulhu mix game that I played. Um, it's a Pathfinder game based on Call of Cthulhu, which was pretty good. Cool. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's just great to have that that outlet right now. And I think for people's you know social and mental well being, it's just really nice that we've we've got all these options right now. Yeah, because back in the '80s we didn't. You know, I had a, I had a you know, an A frame out in the woods. <laughs> people had to come out to me. You know. <laughs> I remember that place. 
I think I think the last bot I'm going to mention, and you all can pretty much Google Discord bots and find tons of things. I use one for a nice roller, the RPX channel called Sidebot, the Sidekick, which does you know slash row D D six and then a row or slash row one D six and a row of D six kind of commands. But one of the neater things, and I just discovered it today. I'd read about it. I invited it to our Curse of Strahd campaign Discord channel, but at the same time, I did not really utilize it but i feel like it's something that we may we both may play with here in the future but it's avray which is a bot that is created by the people who do dnd beyond and man what was it like i i know i sent you like a little quick tutorial video i found what was a couple of things you noticed on there you thought was really neat for it just being a bot so you can i like that you can import in your character from dnd beyond and it's right there and then you can bring in like in discord you can you can bring in monsters. You can just, you know, put in these commands for initiative and the characters roll their initiative. And then you put in like slash, you know, whatever goblins and all those goblins roll their initiative. And it's just a way to bring D&D right over to Discord, which I love. And it's got all the rich content that D&D Beyond has. I didn't get to play with it because I haven't imported my character into ever yet. But I'm, I plan on doing it a little bit later on when I'm just got some time to burn. But it looked like it was even keeping up with spell slots. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really nice. Keeping up with those like character management things, you know, spell slots, hit points, how many spells you have, what your AC is currently, anything that can do that in a manageable way is really great. It takes the pressure off the DM and it's all out there kind of automated. That's great, um, especially if it tracks inventory and things like that, too. Oh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So we'll, we'll, we can't really speak too much about it because we just saw a clip of it and I looked at the commands, but it looks really neat. So, Jason, in closing on this particular issue here, I was wondering if you felt like as a game master, as you're prepping, do you feel like using the resources provided by Row20 and D&D Beyond and so forth do they provide you with more time to focus on the elements of gameplay you need or how has that man how's that affected your prep time prior to session yeah i I think my prep time is certainly less because there's one thing where you can just drag and drop all the characters on the screen to a map of barovia you know and and say here's the map and you can highlight it and put a little pin and say that's where you are right now and you know where do you want to go as opposed to you know, being there in person and having to like roll out the map and, and keep the one that they gave me with the book kind of blocked out so you don't know some of the names of the places um, in the office. I do miss I do miss painting minis and having the minis out there. But uh, with the tokens in Roll20 and the fact that you can customize them, it's been really nice just bringing in your guys' pictures, dropping them onto the, you know, to the battle map and then tagging you and putting your character info right on it, which is amazing for me. So it's, it's definitely cut down my prep time in a lot of ways. I still prepare maps and make sure they're functional and they're going to they're gonna go when we actually start recording and, and try not to slow the game down. I also try to learn more because it's a learning curve. So I'm trying to learn more and more about Roll20 and uh, just kind of become more of an expert in that. So it's been really great and it's cut down my prep time by quite a lot, um, especially when I'm not building like really complex maps and stuff like that. But it's... It's it's also it's it's also different. Like I, I don't get to see your guys's. Uh, I see your facial expressions on video, and I don't get to, I don't get that like in person back and forth as much as we had in the office when we were like you know looking there right at each other and we're a couple feet away. But it's it's been really great, and it's let us play even more games. I think the fact that we can just go through the chapters a little faster and have more content in a month has been really, really great about Roll20. See, something I think I would be interested in seeing after we, you know, us doing it like we are right now digitally, and then whenever this all breaks and we go back to meeting in the physical space, I'm really interested in how it's going to change the dynamic. Because as I was playing a game in person, I realized that, you know, I'm always sitting beside John anyway. Me and him are the the old uh, members of the party anyway, but I'm always sitting beside John and John's the person I primarily interact with. I'll lean over and whisper and do an aside to him and stuff like that. And, you know, given the the physical proximity of the other players and 
so forth. I never got to interact with them as directly. Now we're kind of forced into this medium where it's kind of cutting out some of the table talk. Not that table talk was a problem, but I feel like each player is getting spotlighted a tad bit more. So, you know, everybody's going to be polite and pay attention and quiet as the other person is making a decision. Like, I just, I don't have an answer for this, Jason, but I just wonder if this is going to force us to be more attentive. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think, I think when you're just sitting in your own space playing online, your decisions are really your decisions. No one's sliding your note or anything like that. Now they do have a whispers, uh, you know, uh, uh, macro where I can whisper to characters and tell them just things individually. Like, you know, your character would probably be interested in this, or you see something that no one else sees and this is what it is. Um, so there's more of that. And if I just want to text someone something, I could pull up a text on my phone and, and text it to them too. But it's all built into Roll20, so that's really nice. But the gameplay has changed, I think, to where there's no, like, I think there probably would have been more peer pressure from some of your guys' individual decisions that you're not getting on Roll20. Now, I do like that there's a chat window, so people are commenting in the chat and uh, that are playing as we're playing, and, you know, they're making commentary on things. And some of the rules I'm actually you know, getting corrected on or learning as we're going through because people are finding it, looking it up and posting it. So that's been kind of interesting. You don't really get that in live play. In live play, someone has to stop and look it up. But if it's just involving a couple characters online, you know, everyone else can look up the stuff and comment on what's happening and and prepare for what's coming next. And I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's for character development. I think online play is kind of really great for that because it's really you don't get the you don't get the elbow to your ribs when someone doesn't want you doing something. <laughs> yeah, you know? awesome. Well, Jason, I appreciate you joining me again and talking about this. And man, we're you know we've been stuck in the house quite a bit lately. I'm slowly losing my mind, kind of like Jack did at the uh, I can't remember the resort in The Shining, but I feel like I'm going crazy. But I have uh, been killing the time when I'm not working from home by playing uh, a video game that just released. But it's not a new video game. It came out 23 years ago. Yeah, folks, that's right. I'm talking about Final Fantasy VII, the remake, or remake, what? The, I can't remember what the damn thing. Remastered, I think. It's, it's really, really, the, I've seen the previews. It looks great. Did you ever play the original one, Jason? I did. I did, and my twin brother was obsessed with it. Now, we used to have all the CDs for it. Oh God! I still got the original toys that came out unopened in boxes, stuff like that. They're probably worth something. Not a lot. Here's what you, I, I need you to know about this. First off, you know my wife better. Oh, no, I wouldn't say better than I do. I've been married to her for quite a while and been dating since 1996. But I'm sitting down, and Andrea played Final Fantasy VII when it came out as well. We're sitting. She wants to watch me play it, and she's going to start playing herself. And she's familiar with it to a degree. I don't think she ever beat it. And we're going through, playing it, and I look over at her at, at the moment that I enter, I'm introduced to Aerith, and I, I pause the game. I go, honey, I've, I've always shipped Cloud and Tifa. She goes, well, I always shipped Cloud and Aerith. And at that moment, I felt like my wife of, going to be 14 years this summer, my wife of 14 years, like my, my partner in crime, like I don't know her anymore, Jason. How could she? <laughs> I, these are things I should have known before I said I do. I don't know, but I digress. Let me jump back into it real quick. Look, man, it is a, if you have a PlayStation, you can borrow a PlayStation. However, it's I think it's a very good game. I was afraid it was a cash grab, but this remastered version of the game is adding so much more to it that wasn't in the original story. I don't want to ruin anything, though, to be frank, I'm only three hours into it. I don't want to ruin anything. But if you were to download the demo from the PlayStation Store, even playing through it and you know getting past the fact that it's not turn-based anymore, it is there's narrative changes in it that you're going to immediately notice. Like the demo will begin just like the game does with Cloud jumping off the train at the Shinra station, running around. Those events are the same, but there's a little behind-the-scenes stuff that you don't see, and it it follows that way throughout the course of the game. You're, I won't say what, it'll become obvious, but you remember how after you you leave the building, or not the building, but you flee the Shinra plant and you mm-hmm. run into Aerith on the street? 
remember how it was just a simple exchange of a flower? Yeah. They changed that. They're changing all of the stuff about this game. And I am not wanting to spoil anything. I feel like the general plot is more focused, I guess you could say. And when I say focused, and I will ruin one little slight thing about it. There is a part in the original game, and I'm thinking back to something I played 23 years ago. But when you make it back to Seventh Heaven, which is where Avalanche meets, and you meet your childhood friend Tifa, so forth and so on, there's an option to give her the ro- the flower that Eric gave you, or you could give it to, or you could keep it, or I think you can give it to Marlene, which is Bear's little daughter. Like you don't get that option in this game, so. I don't know what is, how that's going to affect the overall and if there's going to be varying. I don't know if the story is going to be just as streamlined and there's not a lot of choices that you can make or if it's just, you know what I mean? I'm kind of rattling, but yeah, I don't know if you're going to get to do certain things. Dragon Age kind of has that too, where you get to choose kind of who your character interacts with and, and, yeah. and who they, you know how their interpersonal relations go and stuff like that. Um, that's interesting. I, I've seen the commercials and I love the just kind of, it's not as boxy as the original. I love the original, even with the boxy designs and some of the animation. And for the time it was amazing. Uh, and I yeah. think this is kind of like that too. They did all the stuff they really wanted to do uh, then now. And it, it, it looks really amazing. Um, it, it's yeah. one of the two video games that informed my decisions on what a video game was. I think the first one I ever encountered was Dragon Age, not Dragon Age, excuse me, Dragon Warrior for oh, yeah. for regular 8-bit Nintendo. And that was the first like role-playing game I ever played. And Final Fantasy VII is another one of these big ones that sticks out just because I had never played a, not just a PlayStation, it's the first PlayStation game I ever played, but it just a Japanese style of a turn-based strategy, which Dragon Age probably had, Dragon Warrior probably had it, and I forgot it. But, I don't know. It's just something I liked. I'm going to quit talking about it because I'm afraid I'm going to ruin something. But if you haven't had opportunity, check it out. It's beautiful. It is a love letter for a person. If you're a fan like me and Jason, that's been waiting to see this reimagined with uh, new technology and new narrative techniques, it's definitely worth it. So, Jason, how about yourself? What have you been keeping yourself busy with over COVID-19 time? I've been going back and reading like the 13 books in the wheel of time. And uh, I'm, I'm down to the last two uh, that Sanderson had uh, Brandon Sanderson had his uh, creative uh, input and uh, he kind of took over in writing. Um, I've been doing a lot of that. And um, you know, I, in the, I've been interested in following the whole wheel of time TV show stuff. And I know they had to stop because of COVID-19. I think they got about five or six, episodes in and filming and like everyone else they had to stop so uh you know i i've, I've had that but I, I got to watch the witcher prior to covid19 going in so all of this stuff kind of inputs into what i like to do in the D game and kind of um you know when characters need to be developed i kind of pull from these external sources to kind of add meat to them um mm-hmm. so that's kind of what i've been doing is is just you know watching some netflix and reading books uh, when I feel like I've gotten to the end of Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service I have, um, I will say some of us have got together and put together like an anime kind of uh, Sunday where you put on Zoom and you watch anime together, which is kind of nice um, uh, to do every once in a while. So anything that gets you communicating with people and sharing kind of experiences, I highly recommend right now. And, you know, that's what it's all about. That's what D&D is all about. Awesome, man. Well, Jason, thanks for coming back to the show. I totally appreciate it. We'll definitely have to do more. Uh, <laughs> God, what's the word I'm looking for? We have to do more interactions. Uh, fuck, I don't know. I've been doing yeah, this for uh, Yeah, no, I appreciate it. This is great. Um, I'm happy to be back. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, hearing how it turns out. And if you guys want to check out uh, the Curse of Strahd campaign that Jason's been running for from Apollo Law there, those links are going to be posted in the show notes. And the interesting thing about it is it's not interesting, but I can see my progression into a beard over the course of the game. Like we were recording every month. So it was like kind of a time-lapse photography thing going on, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's really cool. And I, <laughs> if you got a moment, want to see what I look like, see what Jason looks like and look at his beautiful, what the fuck was that? Windmill that you made? Oh yeah. 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 I think it's in my trunk right now. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, Jason, thanks for joining us. And for those of you at home, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check us out at www.roadplanexchange.com. You could also check us at facebook.com slash the Exchange, or we're on Twitter at R-P-E-X-C-H-A-N-G-E. And we also have a Patreon. So if you enjoy what you want, you hear uh, and want to support us, it would definitely be appreciated. All the money that we make doing this podcast goes directly back into the podcast. And we couldn't do what we do without the subscribers we have and we're very thankful for them and all and by the way we also record an extra show each month for the patreon so with that uh thank you and we'll see you next time you're allowed to say bye bye thanks for having me it's been great <laughs>